Matthew's gospel is very conversant with Jewish tradition, including the tradition that revelations from God take place on mountaintops. Here's an example. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man, the human one, has been raised from the dead. That is the gospel of the Lord. So my wife Barbara came home from work on Wednesday and she said she was so surprised to actually come out from work and have it be light out. She left work after 6 p.m. and she said it seems like it was like just yesterday practically it was still totally dark when I came out from work. Now the home page on my laptop is the National Weather Service site, Milwaukee Sullivan, so I immediately went there and uh, looked up the sunset times. And interestingly, at this time of the year, they're getting two minutes later each day. So in one week's time, that's like 14, 15 minutes. In two weeks, that's a half hour. It wasn't her imagination, probably two weeks ago. It was still totally dark out when she came out of work, but now it has begun to change. The days are getting longer. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, you probably have. It depends on how much time you've been able to spend looking at the snow, but this is still the time of the year, whether it's the moon or the sun, that the shadows are what? very long, especially in the daytime. The sun is still low in the horizon, and so the shadows are long. By the time we get to June 21st at noon, the sun won't technically be overhead, but uh, it will be close, and our shadows will be almost non-existent. If you've been to a TV studio or a uh, stage uh, where more professional performances have done, you know that light directors hate shadows, and they get rid of them by uh, making sure that there's light coming from every direction in multiple colors, and as a result, as you're watching TV or watching the performance, you don't see any shadows, even though the rest of the area might be in the dark. So what do you think the motif is for today's sermon, people? I know you can see the title. You've figured it out already. Um, uh, if, if you want to go with the metaphor of the walk of faith, at least in part being the struggle between light and night, um, the reality is you probably don't spend a, a high percentage of your life in pure light. In other words, moments of great celebration, joy, achievement, accomplishment, calmness. And fortunately, I think it's true, most of us don't spend a high percentage of our life uh, in the complete night of fear, uh, anger, despair, uh, meaninglessness. 
I would think most of our lives are lived somewhere in between where there is in fact light, but there are also shadows cast over us, ones that we create and ones that others create for us. And so much of life then is how do you shorten the shadows? Um, I had the, the shadows shortened for me twice in this past week, and I thought that was a good place to start thinking of today's scripture lessons and just the walk of faith in general. So one place that shortened the shadows for me was uh, 12.30 a.m. yesterday morning, so Saturday morning at 12.30 a.m. Friday night was the senior high lock-in over at the other campus, and you know they did the usual senior high stuff. They went to the Sky Zone, they played... Uh, our uh, chase in the dark game called Crazy Uncle. And then after that, it was finally time for the, the devotion in the sanctuary over at the other place. And they like to pretend that they're coming up to the children's time, so when Matt does the devotion, they all sit on the steps in front, uh, like the kids still do in both places, and then Matt was sharing a devotion with them. And he, he started by talking about, you know, what, what does it mean to be a child of God? And they said, well, you know, you got to be simple, you got to be trusting. Good answers, true answers. Then Matt launched into a, a little thing. He said, you know, I'm learning a lot about, uh, about what it might be like to be a child of God by being a dad. And he was thinking in particular of Elliot, his three-year-old. Uh, if you don't know Elliot very well, Elliot, uh, once he's in your presence, uh, there's rarely silence. Elliot... Elliot talks a lot. And actually, Elliot doesn't like speak sentences. Elliot pretty much exclusively asks questions. Uh, why, how, when, where, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he is a nonstop question machine. And as a result, Matt spends most of his life answering questions uh, from his son, Elliot. So that's what he laid on the, on the senior high kids. Maybe, in addition to everything else you said, maybe part of being a child of God is asking lots of questions. And isn't that true when you think about it? Because how else do you learn? How else do you understand change unless you ask questions? Somewhere along the way, the church, at least part of it, taught people like, you shouldn't ask questions. You shouldn't question God. And, and it's like just the reverse. Uh, how, else, how else will you uh, find the way if you don't ask for the directions? Uh, how will you learn if you haven't inquired? And, and so I, I just appreciated Matt uh, uh, talking about the importance of asking questions in the life of faith. But, but then the other thing about that was that it, it did remind me of the, the readings this week. Because in Matthew's gospel, the place where he says, uh, you have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And kingdom of heaven means to walk in God's ways. You have to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says that, interestingly, in chapter 18 in Matthew's gospel. And what's significant about that is, in our first lesson, when Linda read that, remember what the introduction was. Moses is going up on the mountain to get the commandments, and think of all of the things that he could have delegated to the people. But the only thing that's mentioned in scripture is, if you have a dispute with each other, here's who you go to. In Matthew's Gospel, the teaching material is in five sections. It's like the Pentateuch, the laws of Moses, five sections in, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And, and just like Moses delegates who to resolve disputes with, 
In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, the core of that chapter is what happens if you have a dispute with a fellow believer? Do you sweep it under the rug? Do you ignore it? Do you hope it goes away by itself? Uh, do you hold it in until you explode in a, an enormous eruption? No, you, you go to them and you talk with them. And then maybe you bring somebody in if you're struggling with it. And, and you have to trust that in moments like that, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the middle of it. When you're in your difficult moments, I'm in the middle of it. To be a child of God, then, is to ask questions. And it is to recognize that, of course, we will have our differences. And that God gives us amazing blessing to not run away from them, but to, to, to actually run toward them and to engage them and to trust that in those moments especially, Jesus is present and so very real. And so somehow all of that actually really did kind of flood over me as I sat there watching Matt talking to these uh, kids who are soon to be adults and at some level don't know everything that lies so shortly ahead of them. But he put them in touch with what it is to be a child of God. And the shadows got a lot shorter for me. Hopefully for you too. It's in Matthew's Gospel, of course, that Jesus also starts the Sermon on the Mount by talking about uh, the light. And I, th I think a lot of times we feel pressure to be the light. He's the light. We don't have to be the light. But at, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if, if you light a candle, you're not going to hide it under a bushel. Even to partially hide it would be to what? Create shadows. So think of your, of your task as a follower of, of don't get in the way of good news. Don't get in the way of the light. Let it shine. That's how we shorten the shadows. Just, just don't get in the way. So the second way I was kind of put into the presence of, of more light this week was I was doing this Bible study that we do once a month at our partner uh, Cross Lutheran downtown. And it, it's more of a worship service for 100 or 150 people uh, that are there for recovery programs, the food pantry, a meal program. And Easter Death Row, who's the community uh, minister there, he usually starts those Bible studies by singing a couple of gospel songs. And he usually does them totally unaccompanied. And he's uh, a wonderful witness to good news. But I, I was kind of struck this week that he, before he sang, he actually started by, by talking to people about, you know, you, lately it feels to me like you're losing hope, people. Um, don't lose hope. You, you can't lose hope. And, and then that's what, he, that's what he sang about. But it was a, cry, a quiet crowd this month, and I think that's what he sensed. I think he sensed their lack of energy. Um, it's mostly an African-American group of people. Um, and and uh, it's a daily struggle uh, to maintain hope when you're up against a lot of obstacles. But those are caused by a lot of things in our world, and perhaps you've experienced some of them. But as white people, I, I think maybe one of the mistakes that we make when it comes to race relations is, is that we're, 
we're sometimes not aware of how much damage a, a limited number of people can do. And if a lot of people really spew a lot of hate, um, it's so destructive. It's so much darkness and shadows. And, and so part of our task in that is, is kind of to work on our own stuff, but part of it is, is to resist that and, and be the people who, who not only want no part of that, but speak a totally different vision of who we can be as brothers and sisters in this world, all children of God, all people who want to shorten the shadows. It's so very hard, but don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. One last little thing. Um, hope is, to me, so often about planting seeds in life. And, and you don't plant a lot of them, but maybe you're part of a community that does. I, I just thought this, this past week that a, a couple of things happened in the life of this congregation that are so very hopeful. Two of them had to do with money, which actually I usually don't think of as... Uh, it's, a, it's a functional thing. It's not a, a source uh, or end point of hope. But, but there were two checks this week that I thought were kind of significant. Uh, one was for $69,000 to us from the Siebert Lutheran Foundation. That showed up in the mail on, on Monday. Um, a lot of times we think of a, us ourselves as a congregation that shares beyond ourselves. Here's a situation where somebody shared with us. Uh, and they shared with us because they, they, they have a sense that the that this is a place that can grow in terms of inviting people, but also being connected in ministry with our partners near and far, and that this site uh, can help make that happen. It, it was a cool thing. So that was a gift that came into us. Um, we sent one out this week for $20,000. That went to Lutheran Social Services, the first of four that will go out for our contribution to the, the Aspen Center so that recovery services are available in an affordable way, uh, residential services in Waukesha County, not just for men. That's been a struggle that's gone on for over five years to be able to expand that program. I can't tell you how much time people from this congregation have put into that and from Lutheran Social Services, and a lot of people have made that happen. But the dedication's gonna be in March. It's finally gonna happen. And their success rate, if you want to call it that, for recovery uh, remains below 50%. You know, it's a hard, hard thing um, uh, to get beyond the power of, of alcohol and other drugs. But, but every time it happens, it's a life regained. It's shadows that are shortened. It's light in a path that had been very dark. You had something to do with that. And then one last thing in terms of planting seeds that, again, I don't know that you would typically know about this, but uh, for 14 years, $15,000 of our benevolence budget has funded something called a Lutheran Volunteer Corps worker at the Bread of Healing Clinic. And these are college grads who are doing a year of service before they move on. And the $15,000 gives them a little stipend and, and pays for most of their living expenses. And in exchange, what they did at the clinic, most of them was, was work with people to uh, uh, get them long-term medications from various pharmaceutical com com 
companies. And over those 14 years, literally, you know, ultimately probably thousands of people were helped and, and, and millions of dollars of medications procured. That in itself would be uh, an awesome outcome. But I was talking to my wife, Barb, and she said, uh, of those 14, uh, three are now doctors, two more in medical school, one's a nurse practitioner, five are nurses, one's a social worker, one's an IT person in the healthcare world. In other words, each one, almost all of them have gone on, and, and they know now that medicine is not just about, you know, the technology. It's about actually talking to people. It's about half the time helping people not to be afraid and, and to be listened to enough to know that they're respected and, and not just somebody that, you know, has to be cranked through. Uh, every one of those people for 30 or 40 years will now be in the field carrying those gifts with them of mercy and goodness and dignity and attentiveness. And, and we had maybe 0.1% to do with that. But it was one of the seeds. It was one of the seeds. And it bears great and abundant fruit. Nobody can do it by themselves. None of us get it right all the time. And we should all, every day, just apologize for the, for the shadows that, that we create in life. But somebody a long time ago lit a candle. And we don't have to cover it up. The story of the transfiguration is glorious because of all of the light that shines. But in the end, it's about coming back down the mountain, which Jesus did, to be goodness and light to the world. I don't think you need much encouragement, people of God, at this time of the year after a long winter, to look forward to a little more sunshine. But someday, when it's still light at 6.30 in the afternoon, um, let it trigger a part of your faith journey as well. It's such a blessing to live in a place where the shadows are short.